if you look to Abraham, he is a man that represents the father of our faith. The guy who kind of with God really started it all. That, that covenant that God started with Abraham, that was a major building block to the relationship that we experience with God today. I want you to listen to Genesis 15, 6. And guys, I'm telling you, who says, Pastor, this word is for me today? Raise your hand. Okay, so before I even tell you what it's about, you should have your hand raised, Pastor, this message is for me. In Genesis 15, 6, we learn the importance of faith or trust in God and the inner work God does in your lives. Who, who can say God didn't, has done an inner work today? Okay, he wants to continue to use that because in describing Abraham, it says in 15.6, it says, and Abram believed. Everyone say believed. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I believe there is nothing greater than the moment you discover who God is and that God is a God for you and that God has a plan for your life. Last week we learned God spoke to Abram. He directed him to leave his native land and be led into a land that God was giving to him. Now what Abram did is he responded. He took his nephew with him. He took his family. He took his many possessions that he had and he started his journey. Who knows that when you respond to God in faith, it's exciting. I've heard the voice of God, I'm stepping out, I'm following out after him. But here's the thing that we're going to see in this story today. Shortly after you respond, a challenge usually comes. And that challenge, it makes you question everything you're doing. Did I hear from the Lord correctly? Uh, this isn't what I expected? We can ask all those things. So let's, let's read in Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 10. We're going to go all the way through chapter 13, verse 4. It says, At that time a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt. Everyone say forcing. Where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Let's kill him, then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Who thinks this is already sounding like a bad plan? <laughs> then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. And Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? 
Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. Let's pray. Father God, you have been present in our worship, Lord. You have been present in the work at the altar, God, and you're going to be present in your word. And Lord, I pray that we embrace what you are telling your people today. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen, amen. I just want to sidetrack real quick. I want to thank you. Everyone that has supported Move as I've been gone, you know, you saw I didn't preach for three Sundays here. Two of those Sundays, though, I was preaching. I was preaching other places. And so I want to thank you for permitting me to do that. And as we look forward to our next trip next January, uh, any men who would be interested in joining us in Thailand, I'd love to talk to you about it. But today as we look to our word, I want to tell you something and I want you to write it down. Because God has called many of you through great steps of faith. But I want you to know that faith is often followed by famine. And you hear that and we we try and understand God's favor and we try and understand the work that God does inside of us and times where things feel so good, right? The presence of the Lord in this room, it feels so good and we can't deny it and we can't deny the things of God and then we step out in faith and then it might not be what you dreamt of. It might not be exactly what you thought it was going to be. One would have to imagine when Abram heard from the Lord the promise that he made to Abram and said, I want you to go to this land that I am giving you. Abram heard that and he dreamt. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where you hear something good from God or you hear something good from someone else and you start having expectations on what it's going to be like. I'm sure he dreamed of green grass, fertile fields, Food and water. Honey is dripping from the honeycombs that hang from the trees, right? And he imagines that everything is going to be easy. It's going to be an easy passage, and they are going to be comfortable. Who says amen to all that, right? Sounds good. I'm going to tell you a story. I was 32 years old, and I'd been senior pastoring for five years in, in a small town in Illinois. And God speaks to me and says, I am going to be taking you elsewhere. And there was a church that, that had gone through some struggles and they needed a pastor. And uh, the, the regional director at the time, he reached out to me and says, I'd like you to consider taking the church in Waterloo, Iowa. And so I go up there and as I said, there, there had been dissension in the church and, and a lot of what was going on had split the church in two. It was a very bad situation. 
and I come in there, and these people, they can't agree on anything. And, you know, I, I preached one of those messages where I had this attitude, you know what, if you guys don't vote me in, that's okay. I got another church that loves me, and I'll just go back there. And um, their decision was kind of split on me. And I'm sitting there wrestling with that, and Wendy and I had to make a decision because we got a high enough vote that obviously we could be the pastors there if we wanted to be, but the decision came down to, am I willing to accept the challenge that I'm about to face? And so over the course of probably what took us a half hour to make a decision, like right then and there, we had to decide. Um, we said yes. And then as I'm driving home and I'm accepting the, the challenge of what I'm, I'm getting ready to walk into, I hear from the Lord, and this is what he says. He says, I am going to tear this church down to the foundations. And I don't know if you guys are big fans of memes on social media, but there's this meme from one of the Star Wars movies between Anakin and Padme where she is questioning what they're going to be doing, the motives that he has. And I remember thinking at the time, well, I'm going to be there for the rebuild, right, Lord? And I just developed this assumption that if God is going to use me to tear a church down to the foundation, that I'm going to be a part of all the building up of it, too. I had expectations. And I can tell you that if I had the insight of what the first four years was going to be like, I would have never went. I would say, you know what, God, you can use me here. Like, you can use me where I'm already at. I'm good. But who knows, when God calls you out in faith, he doesn't give you every detail. He wants you to respond in faith. And then there's going to be challenges that follow. There's going to be hard things that follow. And so when, when God calls you, there is no way that you could possibly be fully prepared for everything that you are going to experience. You're not going to be able to be prepared. That is why this thing that you were on is called a journey of faith and not relegated to just a one-moment decision and say, I'm good. You see, faith trusts God in the midst of a famine for an eternal reward. Not these tangible, material rewards. And we, we read last week, Abram had true faith. He took everything that he had and they left. They left exactly what he knew. But here's the thing that we learned this week, he's also human. And because he's human, <coughs> he sinned. But he was justified before God. And so what I want to tell you guys is that even as you make steps forward in faith, what is going to happen is sin is going to try to cling to you. It's going to try to follow you. And you know what? You can fight it, and the fight might be harder because of the circumstances you're around, but faith doesn't develop through easy times. Some of you might be asking, well, let's define this a little bit. What, what is faith? And, you know, faith, first off, I want to read from, it's Psalm 62, 8. Listen to this. Listen to what the psalmist says. Oh, my people, 
Trust in him at all times. Everyone say all times. Pour out your heart to him for God is our refuge. Again, I want to say that to trust in him is not a just one moment decision. You can't come here on a Sunday, make this declaration in your life that you say, okay, I believe in Jesus now, and then you can walk on and say, well, I'm good forever. And just think that you're set. You can't do that. And believe that that one moment was all you ever needed. I got to tell you, how many times I've come to this altar believing that that's the moment I need. I'm set now. I'm good. Here's the thing. Faith is just a foundational structure from which our lives must be lived. Okay? And so we're going to go through moments where we're going to be challenged to trust in God. And if we can't trust God, we will fail to know anything else about true life in God. What it means to walk with him through the journey. See, because faith is trust. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Church, faith is standing strong with your head up, focused on the character of God through everything. And so you and I, when we have moments like this, when we can rest in him, when we can bask in his presence, I want to tell you something amazing about God. Do you know he never grows tired of you? He never grows tired of you? He never says, man, this person wears me out. Or, do you know his supply never runs out? God's never like, oh, you've used up all your resources. I'm sorry. And he's never going to turn you away because it is Jesus Christ that makes you righteous through the cross. It is not what you have done. And so tests are going to come because of these steps of faith that you need to take. And something that I want to do to back this up is I've got four sections of Scripture in a row that we're going to read real quick. And so if you're a note taker, these are for you. Listen to James 1, 2 through 4. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Boy, does that sound fun or what? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Wow. Sounds like he's telling you to get prepared to run a marathon, right? Who knows that a mile is hard? Running a mile is hard. Well, you ran that mile today. Let's run two. Let's build up to 26.2. Sounds impossible, right? But that's the kind of faith that James is calling us to here. Look look at 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. 
Don't be surprised. Proverbs 17.3, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. <clears throat> then James 1.12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Church, testing will come. Testing will come. Think about it. Even Jesus was tested. We know in Mark chapter 1, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested by Satan for 40 days. And the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. And you might be wondering, why does God choose to work this way? But remember that even Jesus Christ experienced it. So our faith, church, is often followed by famine. But it's what you do in the famine that determines your path forward. Because I want to tell you, famine, that period of famine can lead you far from God. If you let it. So Abraham, Abram, the land he was in, they were experiencing a real famine. Lack of food. We need to go find food. We need to go to Egypt. We hear Egypt has food. But what you, we reveal in this story is there wasn't just a famine physically. There was a famine in the heart of Abram. There was a famine going on. And Abram... We know he has to feed his family, and the scripture says he was forced down there. So it wasn't in that decision to go that meant he lacked faith. I want you to hear me out there. But when we approach our life, there are two parts to our reality. There are two perspectives that you can live with. There is our natural reality. We have this famine and then there's the supernatural reality. God has called me to this famine. He's brought this famine. And he will see me through it. Right? So there's that natural reality. There's, and there's that supernatural reality. And to live in the supernatural is not that we don't see what's going on in the natural. But we cannot find ourselves distracted by natural circumstances and not living in the light of what God has called us to. Okay? So I believe Abram could have still been walking the faith when heading down to Egypt. He could have said, okay, God, your favor is with me and claimed it in Jesus' name. And I believe he did not shift his focus to natural reality until verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. This is when Abram started thinking without faith. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, Look, you're a very beautiful woman. At this moment, Abram's thinking. Okay. This isn't going according to God's plan. Who knows that when you start to think, that can be a little dangerous, right? And so he shifts from walking with faith to no faith at all by telling his wife that you must lie and you must say you're my sister. 
And so this famine, it can, if he goes through with this plan, it can lead him far from God. And understandably, when you are affected by your circumstances, where we are matters. And since we're physical beings, comfort and security matter, right? We can't deny those things. And we have needs, and God knows that. But I want you to check this out. God's tests, though, are not threats to our comfort and security, but it threatens idols we've established to make us comfortable. Abram wanted some security blanket. He didn't want to lose his life. He didn't ever want to feel under threat. So they developed a lie. And church, I'm telling you, for us, that comfort level that we need to get through in faith, that security should be found in the cross. It should be found and always aimed toward the cross. Because you are going to face a famine, and when you have to face your Pharaoh, and you feel under threat, will you abandon what you had in God? Maybe you're going to cave to the pressure of realities and you're going to abandon that supernatural reality. And what I'm telling you is Abram here, he's looking around and he sees trouble for him and Sarai. He, he sees her beauty and he knows she has captured the gaze of those around her. They're gawking at her. They see her. They're going to go tell Pharaoh about her. And then in his human thinking, he thought, if they believe we're married, they'll kill me. They'll kill me and they'll take her. And so he made assumptions and he devised a plan. And in all of this, he forgot about God. Why do you think about this for just a second? His plan made sense in human thinking. There was no father present with him. And so him acting as a brother assumes responsibility for any arrangement in marriage. At that time, there would be a negotiation, there would be a bride price, and Abram's thinking, I can set the bride price. No one's gonna be able to afford her. They see everything that I have. Little did he know, even Pharaoh would be interested in her, right? And he cannot match what Pharaoh can give. And so he takes his eyes off the promises of God and he chooses to save himself, not embracing who God has called him to be. And church, I want you to check this out before we move on. It wasn't the fault of the famine. It was what he chose to do in the famine that mattered. Okay? And so when you're faced with any kind of famine, don't ask, is God faithful? Ask instead, will I trust him through this? Because what God can do and what God did in this story is bring us back into his mercy and grace. Because God has a plan. Because what God has to do now, now that, now that Abram devised this plan that didn't work, his, his wife is about to be married off to Pharaoh. He's dealing with all this mess. 
God has to step in. And what amazes me, something interesting, the first words we read in Scripture from Abram was in that verse 11. They're words of doubt, right? Those are the very first words we read of him in all of Scripture. And I want to contrast that with the words of Christ we read in Luke 2.49. Luke 2.49, it says, But why did you need to search? His parents were looking for him. He says, But why did you need to search? He asked, Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? See, Jesus, even at a young age, was embracing the plans that God had for him. And here's the thing that you need to embrace this morning. God hasn't placed all of his plans on your shoulders. Who's thankful for that? He hasn't placed all of his plans on your shoulders. He placed those on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And you and I now can step into Christ to be a part of that plan. But let me tell you, you and I, we get ourselves into some messes, don't we? We get ourselves into some big messes, and those messes can have earthly consequences. But God, he has a way of breaking in, of breaking in and releasing us from punishment we deserve. Kelton, if you could come. Because I'm going to tell you in this story, God intervenes. In fact, Genesis 12, 17, listen to what it says again. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And the language here suggests extreme affliction that overwhelmed the household. And they could look to Sarai and see she's untouched by everything going on and we're being affected by this. So Pharaoh looks around. He realizes what's going on and he calls for Abram. And all of a sudden, Abram is in public view of everything going on. And Pharaoh rebukes him, what have you done to me? And there's Abram standing there, fully exposed in his sin. He's lied. And Pharaoh's like, you know what? I don't need these problems in my life. Here, here's your wife. Here is everything I have given for her. Take it all. Leave. Just leave. Abram couldn't have left there comforted by what just took place. We can see that as God's mercy. But he wasn't comforted in that moment. He left fully exposed to his sin. You want to know something interesting about this story? That's just the start of things that kind of spiraled out of control a little bit for Abram. We read in Scripture today, what did Pharaoh give for her? He gave servants. He gave maidservants. Those riches would cause separation between him and Lot, his nephew. It's also believed that one of Abram's sins, his great sins that he committed, was because of one of those maidservants given that eventually he again later doubts God's plan and he sleeps with his wife's maidservant as a solution or an answer. And so you can see how one decision away from faith in God can affect everything 
It can permeate everything. His lack of faith caused long-term problems in church. I am telling you, our lack of faith always will. You have to trust God with each and every step. Because let me tell you, when we make plans, our plans fail. But when it comes to matters of faith and eternity, they always will succeed. God's plans will never fail. They never do. The Apostle Paul talks about God's promises made in Galatians 3.16. I want you to listen to this. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. See, if you know the story of Abraham and you know that eventually him and his wife Sarah have a son, and then God tests him to sacrifice that son. But here what we learn is, when God promised all these descendants, when God promised everything he was doing, he was revealing that even in the covenant made to Abram, God was looking forward to Jesus Christ. God was looking forward to that moment where he could seal a covenant with you. So even clear back 4,000 years prior, God was planning for your relationship with him through Jesus Christ. There is nothing Abram could have done to stop the plan of God. There's nothing he could have done God wouldn't let him be a part of the original covenant made. God wouldn't let him walk too far away from the plan. And church, I'm telling you, we don't necessarily deserve God's mercy and grace, and we know that we will face consequences for our sin. But today, if you reach out to Jesus and accept that he took those consequences for eternity on the cross with him, he took those consequences. He died for Abram's lack of faith. He died for Aaron's sin. He died for Steve's sin. He died for Sue's sin. He died for Dennis's sin. And we can go on and on with each and every person in this room. And I'm telling you what we learn is Abram's way back is the same as yours. What did we learn today? Abram returned to where he built the altar. It says he worshiped the Lord again. I want to tell you a story as we close. Many of you have heard it before, but I'm in Bible college. And been married about three months, and Wendy gets very sick. And we're realizing that this is something that is going to be permanent. Eventually, she gets diagnosed with something called dystonia, which is a form of Parkinson's. It's like facial Parkinson's. She's got it in her face and neck, and here I am, a 19-year-old kid, and thinking, God, the woman that you just gave me, Lord, these plans that I had for Bible college, it all seems to be falling apart. 
And then I started making my own plans. Well, she can't work. I need to work overtime. I'm in Bible college. I'm going to be dropping out. I start developing all these plans. Right? And through that, I lost faith. I'm a man going through the motions at this point. I'm still in Bible college, but I'm getting ready to finish my term and be done. And I was on a, I was on a worship team one week. And Wendy said, I want to come see you on the worship team. And she, she came, and you couldn't avoid what was going on with Wendy. It was obvious to everyone because her muscles were constantly twitching, constantly contracting and letting go. And uh, a professor's wife saw that and said, I'd, I'd like you to come and pray with me tomorrow. And Wendy said, okay. And she asked, do you want to go with me to, while, while she prays? And I had that day off, and I said, no, I don't. Not interested. You see, I had gotten sick of all the phone calls of people offering to pray with us over the phone praying with us in person. I just accepted the results for what they were. Two and a half hours goes by. Wendy's gone. She's not supposed to be driving, guys, but I let her go. And I start to pace the floor, worried about my wife. And eventually we get to almost the three-hour mark, and I hear the apartment door open. And she walks in and she's in tears and she says, Aaron, I've been healed. I've been a part of so many prayers. Had so much doubt. I lost faith. I lost trust. And church, at that moment, there was only one option I could do. Get on my knees and repent before the Lord. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And through that moment, he spoke to me. And he said, the road I have you on is difficult. Don't take your eyes off of me. Some of you here, you're going through the motions. Your faith has been a challenge. And God is telling you this morning, don't take your eyes off me. If that's you, what I want you to do is we're going to stand as we worship with that last song. If that's you, I just want you to come to the altar this morning. I want you to kneel as I'm kneeling. Because sometimes all that we're left with is God. I'm sorry. You might be waiting for that healing, but I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's not too soon to repent over feelings. It's not too soon to repent over thoughts and plans that you've made. And to cry out to the Lord and say, I won't take my eyes off you. So let's stand right now. If that's you, and you say, I need to, I need to go get on my knees before the Lord. The altars are open right now. Kelton, if you'd sing.